morning. It is great to see you this morning. I am glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. I want to talk today about it's teamwork. What happens when we begin to do what God has called us to do? What does it look like? How does it happen? And we like winners. We like any team to win. If our team is actually consistently winning, it makes it easy to be a fan. When your team stops winning, is it hard to go to the games? When your team just doesn't win, you just expect it. Okay, we're going to have a great blowout today. We're going to be, <laughs> we're going to be skunked. We're not going to even score. How exciting is that? You just don't want to be a fan very long, do you? We like winners. We want to see a team that wins. I watched a movie here a while back. Um, it was called um, When the Game Stands Tall. Did anybody see that? Okay, a couple people maybe. When the Game Stands Tall. It's about the longest winning streak in sports. It's a high school football team. And they won 151 games straight. High school football. You only play once a week. Now think about this. You ready? That's 12 seasons of having a perfect season. 12 seasons. So not just once you actually had a perfect season. You had 12 seasons back to back to back to back. 12 seasons long. This is uh, Coach Bob. He is actually um, out of... DeSalle, La DeSalle um, High School, and it was in Concord, California. He went on, he retired just a couple years ago, and he has won 399 games as a high school football coach. His winning percentage, you ready? His winning percentage is .937. Hello. Holy cow. He knows how to win. Now, Maybe some of you have never really experienced a winning season. Maybe you've been more on those losing teams. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and embarrass yourself. But if you've ever lost, you also know that a good coach will do something important. A good coach will also take that loss and will teach you through the loss and say, this is how we become better. I remember one of the games that I was in in high school. It was a, it was a basketball game. At the end of the basketball game, we, we really we stunk it up. It was, a, it was a bad game. We lost really bad. And so the coach is giving one of those motivational speeches. You know what I'm talking about? At the end of a great loss. I mean, it just motivates you. And so there was this great motivational speech going on. And, and one of my friends looked over and he said to somebody else, well, at least we look good when we lost. That coach for... Uh, Bless his heart, he had a rough group of guys. But man, we did not get out of the gym for a long time that evening. He had something to teach us, right? So here's the question for you. How do you know when a church is winning? How do you know when a church is, is winning? It's easy in a, in, a, in a football game. It's easy in a baseball game. It's easy at a basketball game because all you simply have to do, if you want to know if your team is winning or losing, you look where? Scoreboard. You could have said that a little louder, made sure I, I knew how you were with me. You just look to the scoreboard, right? It, it makes sense. You just look up, okay, we're either behind or we're be ahead. We're winning. You also see the time that's left. You look to the scoreboard and you know where you're at. Now, the question is, what do you look to in church to know if you're winning? Do you remember the old churches? Maybe some of you do. You remember over here on the side of the church, they had this wood plaque? Do you remember the wood plaque? Raise your hand if you remember the wood plaques. Okay, you remember the wood plaques. And on the wood plaque, it actually said last Sunday's attendance. It had last Sunday's Sunday school attendance. And then it had in the wood, and those pegs would move, and you would have little numbers that you could slide in and out. And then you'd also have 
some of you guys don't believe this. This is true. It really happened in church. And then you had the offering from last week. And it was, it was like the scoreboard. So you could walk into any church and you go, <laughs> they're losing. It really was. It was a scoreboard for the church. And so you'd come in and you'd look up and you'd say, ah, they're doing great. This must be a really good church. So the question becomes, what should classify us as a good church or a bad church? How do we know if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing? Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going. This is the last in the series. Um, After this week, I'm going to be doing a, a new series. The new series is going to be talking about inner peace. Um, maybe some of us need to walk through this message series next week, and it's inner peace and talking about worry, fear, anxiety, and stress, and we're going to be talking about those. But today we're finishing in Ephesians chapter 4. What Paul has done for us over the last few weeks is Paul has, has set up, and he said, this is how you need to organize, this is how you need to set up the church, and this is what needs to happen, this is what it looks like. Over the last few weeks, we've even promoted and pushed and encouraged you to begin to pray about where God would have you serve. Because if you are saved, if you are a believer, everyone has a gift. And we talked about those spiritual gifts and how that you are designed to actually get off the bench and to play. You're not designed to sit on the, on the bench. You're designed to get off the bench. Now, today we're going to be walking through what does it look like and how do we win? We're going to answer that question. How do we win? And then I'm going to answer the question, what does it look like? Ephesians chapter 4, you have your Bibles. I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word. If you do not have your Bible, we'll be putting it up on the screen for you in just a moment. If you'd go down to verse 15, that is where we're going to pick up. That's where we left off last week. Verse 15 says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of Of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every purity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings. What an incredible privilege and opportunity it is together with other believers to celebrate how great you are, to celebrate how that you've been faithful and how that you care, and that, God, you really do want to meet with us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom in this place. I pray that you would anoint this time. And I pray truly that, God, in this place, we would hear from you today. Give us the ears to hear. And I pray that you give us the courage to apply it to our lives so that we walk out of here a different people. God, we truly, desperately want to hear from you. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. 
So the question becomes, if you have your bulletin, you can open it up, you can find the outline. The question becomes, how do we win? What does it look like? And what Paul does for us is over the last few weeks, he's set up several different things. We've talked about those, so we're going to have review those things. How do we win? Paul reviews for us once again. He says, here's how you win. He says, we are to grow up. You see the last part of verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. He makes sure we understand who the head is. The head is Jesus Christ. So here's how we win, first and foremost. We win when we follow Jesus as our leader. I know it sounds incredibly simple. It sounds almost so simple that we should just be talking about it in children's church. But this is the reality where we need to hear once again that Jesus is the one we follow. That Jesus is the leader. And if a church is actually going to win... Here's what needs to happen. You have to have people who are willing to follow Jesus. There's not multiple leaders. There's only one leader. What happens in church is this. There are many good leaders, and every one of them think that they should be in charge. But the reality is this. There's only one leader. That is Jesus Christ. And if we are going to win, if we're going to be what God has called us to be... As a church, what means to happen is this. Every one of us as believers have to be going after Jesus Christ as our supreme leader. When it happens in your personal life, when it happens in your home, when it happens in the church, when you come to the church, when we say, wait a minute, it's not about my agenda, it's not about anything else, it's about Jesus Christ and following him. What happens is this. It all of a sudden brings unity into the body of Christ because now we're not fighting for our own things. Now we're going after Jesus Christ alone. Does that make sense? Now, this is where it gets pretty easy. You understand the concept, and I brought the football concept in, not just to play around, but I think it's, it's a great way to illustrate something that we're used to, something that is very common, to bring it into a reality that sometimes we quite often forget and we don't really apply to the church. You see, how many head coaches are there in, on a football team? Hello? How many? Five? No, One. If it's the head coach, there's one coach. And every other coach and every player understands that they must follow the head coach. Does that make sense? Now, here's what happens. If you get a football player, he's the quarterback. Let's just say the quarterback begins to play. And out on the field, the quarterback has not been given the liberty to call the plays himself. The coach gives the play. He says, I want it to be a pass. And I want it to be a pass. And quarterback says you know what I don't think I need to do that and he hands it off and it's a run play how many times do you think that quarterback's going to get to be the quarterback he's going to have a really good conversation the first time right coach is going to pull him off there's going to be a timeout coach is going to grab the face mask and start yelling or wait we can't touch kids anymore but anyway there's something's going to happen right and so we're going to have this conversation and after the conversation he gets another chance and again if the player decides to do it his own way and in doing so he ignores the head coach what is eventually going to happen that player will no longer play does that make sense now in church there's only one leader and let's just move it all the way it's beyond me it's beyond me it's jesus christ he is the one in which we have to go after if a church is going to win You simply look across and you see how many people 
are putting Jesus Christ first and foremost in their life. You look across and you see how many classrooms Jesus Christ is the primary conversation. You look across how many home groups. You begin to look at across the ministries. You begin to look across. And you look at all the committees. You begin to look at every place in the church. And you begin to ask the question, is Jesus Christ the primary focus? And if Jesus Christ is not the primary focus, if it's not where we're going after him and trying to align ourselves with the scriptures, hello, then it's going to fail. Number two, look what happens. He says, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to win if you want to win. If you want to win as a church, it's about following Jesus Christ as a leader. Number two, look what he says in verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. You're going to win when you follow Jesus Christ as your leader. You're going to also win when you work together. When you work together. He uses the term joint. Do you see that word in there? It says joint The whole body is held together by Jesus, who's the head. He uses the body. And he uses the body because everyone, every culture can understand. If you have a two-headed cow, what do you call that? Strange, right? It should go into Ripley's, believe it or not. You have one head, one head, and now you have multiple body parts. And what happens at the joints? At the joints, every joint you have, what you have is two different body points coming together. Are you following me? When the joints are working well, you can begin to have movement. When the joints begin to hurt, there's some kind of problem in the joints, right? And now the body parts can't actually function well. Now watch the imagery Paul is bringing together. He's saying, everyone has been gifted, everyone has a talent, everyone has a job. And the goal is this, when Jesus is the head, all the differences that we have in this room, they're going to be joined together by Christ and in the middle of those joints the Holy Spirit's empowering all those differences and they're equipped and all of a sudden all the difference begin to work together for one common cause to follow Jesus and to expand his kingdom and what happens is this the world begins to look at this and they say wait 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 you mean to tell me that you have old people going to that church yeah you mean to tell me you have young people going to the church yeah you mean you have people who have a lot of money who go to the church yeah you mean to tell me we have a lot of people who, who don't have any money? Yeah? You mean, you mean to tell me that there's some people with great jobs and some people without great jobs? Yeah. You're telling me that there's people from different countries around the world? Yeah. You're telling me that there's people from big cities? Yes. Little cities? Yes. All the differences coming together with all these different backgrounds, and you're telling me that they actually work together to extend God's kingdom? Yeah. And what happens is this. It begins to cause the world to stop and say, whoa, I have never seen that kind of diversity work together. Because every time we look across our world and every time you turn on the news, when you see diversity, what do you typically see? Let's be honest. You see fights. You see chaos. You see friction. You see people griping, yelling, complaining. But when you come together and when you see a church that begins to say Jesus is our leader and we're going after him, in the midst of all the differences, he begins to pull them together. And all of a sudden, in those joints, the Holy Spirit empowers all those differences. And all of a sudden, you see a group of people who actually care for each other, love one another. And the world looks out and says, wow, if there's unity in that kind of diversity, there must be something different about that place. I want to know what it is. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. In the midst of all the differences, let's just let's be honest. It's real easy to look across and say, wait a minute, you didn't do it my way. You didn't do it my way. And people begin to get frustrated and there's friction. And in the midst of all the differences, 
we get so frustrated, and there's a good chance that many of you in this place, you've come from churches or you've been around churches in which there's been fighting and griping and complaining, and you're like, fine, forget this. I don't want anything to do with that kind of church. Why? Because it doesn't represent what God has called us to. Are you seeing it? You want to see a church win? Jesus is the leader. People work together to demonstrate what God has done and to push back darkness. And number three, watch the next thing. Here's the next. It says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. When each part works properly. Because there's so many differences, the way in which we win is this. When each person plays their own role. When each person plays their own role. Have you ever been a part of a team in which as a team you're all excited, there's game day, and then you find out that one of the players is not going to be there? Have you ever been a part of a team like that? And they're not going to be, and you're, it's a game, and it's a big game. And all of a sudden the team, that player is not coming. Maybe he didn't show up to school or she didn't show up to school. Maybe they got sick, and all of a sudden they're not there. And it's a big game. What happens to the rest of the team when players miss for being sick or whatever? What happens? It's, it usually it puts stress on everyone. Why? Because now some players are going to have to step up. Other players are going to have to fill the role. Sometimes people will have to actually do double duty, right? They're going to have to play two different positions. Or maybe they're going to have to move up. Maybe they now have to cover by being in the wrong position. Here's what happens quite often in church. The last few weeks we gave out opportunities to serve. We gave out ministry opportunities to say, hey guys, these are needs right now. And here's what happens. We look at a list and we say, man, there's a lot of jobs. And then we say, well, there's a lot of people in this room. I bet that person will do it. I bet she'll do it. I bet he'll do it. And what we do is we push it off and we act like it's somebody else's job. Now follow me. When you have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, there's problems. And what it does is it causes burnout on those 20%. Because they're having to do somebody else's job. Are you following this? And it's never been designed that way. It's been designed because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You've been called to be a part of the body. And God has actually designed you to actually be the arm. To be the fingers. He's, he's designed you to play a role. And when you don't play your role. It causes the rest of the team to have to fill your position. And Paul is laying it out. And he says, okay, you want to see a church that does well? You want to see a church win? Here's how you win. Jesus is a leader. You follow him and you go after him with all your heart. You actually begin to work together in all the differences. And then number three, everybody plays their role. Can I just encourage you one last time? It's not too late. Find your place. You're not saying, Heath, I just don't know where to start. I don't even know what to do. Talk to somebody at the Welcome Center. We'd love to get you involved. We'd love to get you tied in. Now, We've already heard all those stories, so you're going, Heath, man, this is just like repeat of the last three weeks. Come on, can we do something different? And I'm glad you asked, because I'm kind of tired of it too. So that's how we win. Now can I give you a glimpse of what it looks like when we win? How do you know if the church is winning? Is it about a large budget? There's many churches that are doing very well and doing kingdom work. And they don't have a very large budget. Let me ask you this question. Is it when the church is running at least 3,000? 
Is that when the church is doing well? There are many churches that are less than 3,000 and that won't ever reach 3,000. But they're doing exactly what God's calling them to. Well, it's when you win souls. That's it, Heath. When, 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 the, when, when there's salvations and there's baptisms, that's when you're winning. I have several missionary friends who've gone overseas and gone to different places. And in their ministry, because of the culture and in which, in the environment in which they're serving, there hasn't been very many salvations. Matter of fact, they've even gone a year or two without a salvation at all. Would I say that they're failing? If I was just counting salvations, then I would have to say they're failing, right? So the question becomes, what does it look like? What does it look like for a church to actually win? I think this is a brilliant question because we must answer this. If we're going to become, if the Oaks is going to be what God has called it to be, then we have to answer the question, what is it? Here's your word. You ready? It's two words. Life transformation. Life change. Life transformation. When lives are being changed. Here's what it looks like. Paul begins to lay it out for you, and I want to show you this. He says, Now this I say and testify, verse 17, in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now we've talked about what Ephesus is. Ephesus was one of those primary, primary cities in Asia Minor in the Roman Empire in which people would travel and commerce happened, and there was a lot of business that would, would, would transpire in this place. And people would travel all over the world to actually come through Ephesus, go to Ephesus, have merchandise that they're going to sell or, or trade in. It was a premier city. In this premier city, in the Roman Empire, it was also it had one of the seven wonders of the world. Princess, uh, not princess, um, um, the goddess Diana or Artemis, had their temple there. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the world during that time. If you go to Ephesus now, that temple is actually destroyed. You can't really find very many things except just some fallen rocks. But it was considered one of the premier temples of the ancient world. The city was known for its debauchery. The city was known for its evil. Matter of fact, one of the the, um, Greek philosophers, here's what he wrote about it. Um, His name is Herculatus, a, a pagan writer, he writes, The darkness of vileness, vileness, the morals were lower than the animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. That's what he wrote about this city. Let me give you a picture just to help make sure you understand what we're talking about here in Ephesus. At the, the temple... You could actually come in and there would be male prostitutes, female prostitutes to help you in your worship. There would be young and old. There was no discrepancy between the two. Out in the courtyards of the temple, there was actually an area in which anybody who had ever committed a crime, all you had to do is if you killed somebody, if you hurt somebody, if you stole from somebody, all you had to do was get to that court and you were safe and you had asylum and you were fine. There was no problem. You would be excused. Nobody could ever touch you for that. So what you had is in the Roman Empire, people running to this temple, running to this city. Wickedness ran wild. You name it, it happened. The Roman orgies, you just, start, you just start going down the list. This is the place it transpired. And Paul says, this is where I need to put a city. This, in this city, I need to put a church. God wants a church to be different. So when Paul begins to write, here's what he says. Guys, 
there's something that's going to have to happen. We're going to set up a church, and we're going to organize a church, and we're going to do it in a way, and we're going to do it in such a way that there's going to be life transformation. Now watch. Because now you're no longer going to be, and he lists out, and he says, this is what you were. Are you following this? Follow. He says, you were once a Gentile, walking according to whatever you wanted to. You actually lived in the futility of your minds. You were darkened in your understanding, and you were alienated from God. Have you ever talked to somebody who was just too good, too smart for their own britches? I mean, they're so smart that when you talk about God, they just dismiss it. And they act like they, there's no need for God. To, that's actually for an inferior life form, as if you, know, you believe that you're stupid for believing in God. And Paul says, you guys used to live in such a way in which you dismiss God because of your intellect. You thought you had it all. See, we live in a society where we dismiss very quickly God. And we say, God is really not that important. We live in a society in which we feel like, hey, the morals, it doesn't really matter. And he says, this is how you're going to live. You lived in such a hardness heart. You actually were callous to any kind of sexuality. It didn't matter. Anything goes. You were greedy to get whatever you wanted and you would go after it. And you would practice any ungodliness or you would commit any sin in order just to get whatever you wanted because you were greedy. He said, that's what you used to be. And I love the fact that he lays it out. And he says, you were separated from God. You were separated from God. You didn't know God. Is there anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but is there anybody who can remember back before they actually trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior? And anything goes, right? Anything. It didn't matter what happened. And Paul says, this is what you used to be. This is what you used to be. You came out of that. You've actually, some, something's changed. And here's what he says, changed. You ready? Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard, assuming that you have trusted Jesus Christ, you now need to put off the old self. So here's what he's saying. He says, now there needs to be this radical transformation. You trusted Jesus Christ. Assuming you have trusted Jesus Christ, this is what you used to be. Now think back to what you used to be. There used to be a day and a time in which you didn't want to go to church. You couldn't stand going to church. And maybe there's some in this room who are going, man, I'm here because my wife made me get here, and that's why I'm here. My kids said I needed to get here. But man, when there's a transformation and all of a sudden you trust Jesus Christ, what does it do? Man, singing songs is kind of fun because you're praising God. You don't even have to be good at singing songs. But all of a sudden you want to read your Bible, what? And you start telling your friends, you know what? Um, I, I can't stay out as late as I did on Saturday night because I got to get up and go to church. They're going, what? Church, you? And it's almost like this joke. You're going to church? Did you get religion? What happened to you? And Paul's saying, this is what's the, what needs to happen. You need to put off that old lifestyle. And you need to be walking accordingly. Here's what's going on. Because they lived in a culture in which anything goes, they had church members who were living as if anything goes. Are you following this? You and I live in a culture, and we can't even separate ourselves from it. And there's this moment in which we still have to battle back and forth. And there's this sin in, in, in our culture and all around us. And Paul's saying, listen, listen, that's what you used to be. Leave it alone. Leave it alone and start walking this new way. Leave it alone and start walking this way. Here's where it begins to tie in for us. No matter where you go, everybody's asking for volunteers anymore, aren't they? 
They all want you to volunteer at your kid's school. Or maybe you go to work and now the, the work is saying, okay, you need to give so many volunteers a day. You go to a DBU or something. Now they're saying, hey, you got to volunteer. You get, everybody wants you to volunteer your time. And, and the question becomes, Heath, why are we talking about this in church? Because it just feels like it's one of those sales pitches just to get people to serve. It's just to, it, it, it feels like the same thing everybody else is doing. And here's where I want to start moving you and I want you to see. You ready? The reason you serve is for life change. The reason you serve is to help somebody on their faith journey. You see, when somebody stands at a door, it's no longer just about, ah, have fun, I'm just doing something menial. Do you realize that when somebody comes onto a church campus, within the first 15 minutes, 555, 15 minutes, They've already made the decision by how they were greeted at doors, by how the kids' check-in went, by how getting into the service actually worked. If it went well, within the first 15 minutes, they've already decided whether they'll come back or not. In the first 15 minutes. That has nothing to do with the music. Hello? And that has nothing to do with me preaching. Yes. That means I can lay an egg. Hey, it's no big deal. Here we go. The first 15 minutes. Now watch. The reason we're asking you to serve is because you're helping people on their faith journey. If they come in and they're actually greeted. And I remember five years ago, we, didn't, we had a welcome center, but we did not have people at doors. We didn't have people greeting around. And one of the biggest complaints we had by guests when I would interact with the guests is this. They would say, it's just not a very friendly church. It turns people off to the gospel before we ever get a chance to help them and their life change. Are you following? Now listen. He, well, how does, how does changing a, a poopy diaper, how does that fit in? If you don't change the poopy diaper and the parents come back and they say, hey, my kids haven't been changed for the last hour and a half, what happens to those parents? They're ticked off and they're not coming back because their kid wasn't taken care of. Are you following me? You lose the gospel opportunity to share and be a part of their faith journey. Does that make sense? I, I want you to, I need you to see the bigger picture. Well, Heath, what about, when, what we need to do is this. When everybody begins to do their role and play their role, what happens is this. You start seeing life change. You start seeing people get saved. You start seeing people have a conversation saying, you know what, I've never heard that before. And now all of a sudden they want to study the Bible. I remember preaching a message, and um, we were talking about marriage. And after talking about marriage, I, I, I expressed and shared how that, that if you're living with somebody who's not your spouse, who you're not married to, the problem is, is that you can't properly reflect Jesus' love to the church. Because Jesus was in a covenant relationship with the church in which he loved faithfully. And afterwards, a couple said, hey, pastor, I've never heard that before. We need to get married? Yeah. Well, can we do it next week? Yeah. Now, are 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 you starting to see it? It's life change. We have on our statement out here, it says, helping people have an authentic faith journey. 
And the reason we say that is because everyone in this room is at a different place on their faith walk with God. Would you agree with that? Some people have walked for years, but yet they're still immature. Some people have walked for a few years, and now they're extremely mature because they're following and they're in obedience. And here's what we're moving towards. When a church begins to win, what you have is this. You have people who are going through trials, and all of a sudden you have other people come around them, and they're helping build out their faith in such a way that they're going, if God can do that for you, God can do that for me. And they begin to trust God at a new level. We just help move them. Life transformation is happening. We're helping people put off the old. Are you seeing this? And putting on the new. It's life transformation. And it happens at every stage. Now here's, here's why it matters to have everyone involved. Here's why it matters for everyone doing, working together. Here's why it matters for people to be doing, playing their role. Because one person can't impact everyone. Amen? One person can't do it. It takes me playing my role. It takes you playing your role. It takes everyone doing what they can do so that as a church, when we're working together, people say, wow, look at the harmony. Look at what the Holy Spirit's doing. Look how God is moving in this place. And multiple lives are touched on different levels. Are you seeing it? Life transformation. Life transformation. I want to be a part of a church that begins to organize themselves in such a way that say, we want to be what God has called us to be. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus in such an incredible way that we say, okay, not only are we going to do that, we're going to work together, and we're going to play our roles well so that we can see life change. Now let me show you one last thing because I find this part fascinating. As Paul is talking about this new life, the putting off the old and putting on the new, Verse 22, he says, and this is what begins to happen. You're renewed in your spirit, in your mind, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. There's a good chance that maybe there's somebody in this room who's, who's still struggling going, man, Heath, if you only knew how bad I was, if you only knew how bad I've been in my past, there's not really, I don't know if God could forgive me. I just let you know, you're, you're sitting in a room full of broken people. And in this brokenness, there's many of us who've had a past in which we've, we can't believe what God has taken us out of. But here's the way it happens. We come to God, and we come to God and we say, God, I'm sorry, I'm broken. I, look at my, I'm sorry for running from you. And what we do is this, we take off our old filthy rags and we hand it to him. We hand it to him, and what he does is this. Jesus, because we say, Jesus, we want you. Jesus, we want you to be our Savior. We give him our filthy, dirty rags, and Jesus does this, because he died on the cross. He paid for your sins, and he rose again. You ready? Here's what he does. Jesus says, I am now putting on you my righteousness. Are you seeing it? My righteousness. So guess what? When you look at Heath... When God looks at Heath, he doesn't see the crummy guy I used to be. He sees this guy who's made holy and righteous. <laughs> I'm holy. You would never brag about it because you're not that good, right? I would never brag about it because I'm not that good. But what I'm doing is I'm standing here not in my own goodness, but I'm standing here clothed in the righteousness of God. Because Jesus Christ has made me new. 
And somebody in this room, you just need to hear this. You're right, you're not perfect. But you have a God who desperately loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for your sins. And he's offering you grace and forgiveness. And he says, I'll take all your junk and I'll wipe it clean and I'll put on you righteousness. Life transformation. Some of you, maybe as Christians, here's what you're doing. You're struggling. You, you've trusted Jesus Christ, but you keep staying in that sin. And it's time. It is time for you to reject that old way of living. And it's time for you to start walking the way God has called you to. He has given you his power. Jesus' resurrection power lives inside of you. It's time for it to be broken. It's time. So here's where we need to go. Some of you, you need to trust Jesus. Today's the day. Today's the day of salvation. It's time. It's time to get it right. It's time to simply say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Here's my life. And you give your life to Jesus. Maybe some of you, that's what you need to do today. Others, you've trusted Jesus, but you need to stop walking in the old and you need to start walking in the new. It's time. For others, God's calling you to have a role and to have a part in life transformation. So whether it happens with mops, celebrate recovery, whether it happens by taking care of the nursery, whether it happens by getting involved in the music or taking care of media, God is calling you to stop sitting on the sidelines to get in the game and start being a part of life transformation. It's time. No more sitting on the bench. 